Uh, if you turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 7, that would be great. Mark chapter 7. And um, if you were wondering what happened to my lip, um, it wasn't a bar fight. <laughs> Stephanie didn't punch me in the face. Uh, Phil was close, but no, I wasn't trying to catch the softball with my mouth. Um, I wish I had better stories for these types of things, but it was just a softball that bounced the wrong way. But we're looking at uh, Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Uh, This is a tricky passage, and so uh, there's a lot to talk about today, so try to track with me as we go through this passage, and then uh, when we get to the end, I think we'll really see uh, the point of this passage and how it applies to our lives. So Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the crumbs under the table, or even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Well, I've been watching uh, America's Got Talent. Has anybody else been watching, watching that? A few of us. Um, if you're not familiar with the show, it's kind of a talent show. Uh, they have all different kinds of acts, singers, you know, kind of thrill things, uh, daredevil acts, all different types of things. Uh, but one of the, the kind of the genre that I like the most is the magician acts. Uh, and with the magicians, uh, what, they would, what they often do is they'll do something called misdirection. Um, and one area of misdirection is they'll do intentional mistakes. Uh, that is, they'll be doing a trick, or maybe a card trick or whatnot, uh, and they'll kind of set you up so that you think you know what's going to happen, and then they'll make a mistake. You know, maybe they'll drop the cards on the ground, maybe they'll tell you the wrong card, uh, and so you think you got them. You think, oh, they made a mistake, I know what's going on here. But in reality, it's intentional, it's a misdirection, and they're trying to divert your attention to that mistake so that they might set up the real trick that's about to happen. I think that's kind of maybe what's happening in in this passage we're looking at today. It's kind of like a misdirection. As we read this passage, it seems remarkably out of place. It seems remarkably strange. And yet through this misdirection, through the fact that our attention is riveted to us, to this, and we think we know exactly what it's saying, I think that God is doing something even deeper than we see. So as we go through the book of Mark, we see that Jesus heals a number of people. We see that He does a number of remarkable things. He frees many uh, people from demons. He heals a leper. He heals a paralytic. He calms a storm. He heals a Gentile who has a demon who's running around in the tombs. He heals a woman who had a discharge of blood. He heals Jairus' daughter. He heals, uh, or feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. 
Uh, his power is so great that people are longing just to touch the hem of his garment, just because if they just touch the hem of his garment, then they'll be healed. And so everybody's coming to Jesus to find healing. And we find throughout the book of Mark so far that everybody that comes to Jesus finds healing and finds acceptance. Last week we looked at a passage about how you know, the Pharisees were washing their hands and doing all these rituals. They were concerned about ritual purity. If Gentiles or if a number of other things would, would make their items impure. And so Jesus says it's not a matter of the externals, it's what's in the heart that makes somebody impure. So Mark has kind of set us up for this story. And then Jesus enters into Tyre and Sidon. We don't know exactly why. He was probably trying to get some peace, maybe trying to evade uh, Herod, who believed that he was John the Baptist, who was resurrected from the dead. And it says in the text that immediately a woman came to him, bowed down at his feet, begged him to cast out a demon from his daughter. Now based on everything that we've seen of Jesus so far, we think that it should go like this. Yes, daughter, your, your daughter has now been healed. Yes, go in peace. Your child has been freed from this demon. But that's not what we see in this passage. It's almost like a bombshell has been dropped on us. It's something that nobody would expect. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, it seems almost like Jesus is being mean here. I mean, this woman is distraught. She's crying out, begging Jesus to, to free her daughter from this demon. And it seems that He responds to her in a very strange, vexing way. It's almost like He's being mean. Like, i I got other things to do. I can't worry about people like you. I mean, it's remarkably vexing when we look at it. But what is Jesus doing here? How do we make sense of this passage? Now, we know a number of things. We know that Jesus wasn't prejudiced against Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, because we know, even in the book of Mark, that He's interacted with Gentiles and He's healed Gentiles. We know that the, the Gerasene demoniac was most likely a Gentile. He frees that person from the demon. In, uh, in the passage just after this, in the beginning of chapter 8, He feeds 4,000 people who were most likely Gentiles. So we know he's not prejudiced against Gentiles. It's not that he doesn't like Gentiles. And we also know that Mark is writing to a primarily Gentile audience. So if this was something that was a stumbling block for them, if Jesus was saying, I'm not, I don't care about Gentiles, it would be baffling that Mark would include this in the Gospel. And if he did, you'd think he would explain it somewhat. So I don't think that Jesus is being mean. I don't think that he's... Uh, prejudice against Gentiles at all. And we see throughout the book of Mark that that's not the case. So what is Jesus trying to do here? I think in short, what Jesus is trying to do is He's testing and He's challenging this woman's faith so that glory might be given to God. So that people might see the strength of her faith and glory would be given to God. Just for a moment, I feel like there's a misdirection. Just for a moment, we're focused upon what Jesus is saying, like we should be. But in this passage, the focus is not so much upon what Jesus is saying, but on the depth of this woman's faith. So, a little background in this woman who comes to Jesus. She's a Syro-Phoenician. She meets Jesus in Tyre and Sidon. 
Uh, Tyre and Sidon was a very wicked pagan region. Uh, the city of Tyre was known for the evil Queen Jezebel who led Israel in the Old Testament astray into pagan idolatry. Uh, during the Maccabean revolt of the 2nd century B.C., uh, Tyre fought with uh, the Seleucids uh, against the Jewish people. And so they were considered enemies of the Jews. Uh, one historian refers to those people from Tyre as notoriously our bitterest enemies. Scholar James Edwards writes this of Tyre. Tyre probably re- represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could ever expect to encounter. It's not a region that the Messiah should ever be found in. Further than that, there is some evidence to suggest that they were economically oppressive. Some scholars believe that uh, they would take the bread and the goods from the Jewish region of Galilee and they would kind of usurp their goods. One source says this, Galileans perceived Tyre as a bloated bully and had long despised it for amassing wealth at the expense of the poor. So in almost every way, Tyre and Sidon is com- are completely opposed to the Jews. Spiritually, they're opposed to the Jews. They worship false gods. They worship pagan deities. They're economically oppressive. There's evidence that they took bread, took goods from Galilee. They represented a high and mighty upper class with no concern for the poor. And also, they were opposed militarily, having historically supported the Jew, supporting the Jews' enemies. And so Jesus is a Jew, and He's entering into this region of Tyre and Sidon, and He's presumably entering into this region as an enemy of, the Tyre, of those from Tyre and Sidon. Presumably, He's entering as an enemy, and we would expect, or the people in that day would expect, that the Messiah would come and He would vanquish the Jews' enemies. That He would subdue them. He would pronounce judgment on Tyre and Sidon. But that's not what He does. And this woman comes and seeks Him out. Brings her request to Him. (coughs) Once again, Jesus says, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now on one level, He's just kind of asserting the priority of the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. He came primarily first and foremost to the Jews and then secondarily to the nations. As Paul says in the book of Romans, he came first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So that's part of what he's saying, but I think there's perhaps something deeper that's going on. Perhaps when he's saying this, he's saying to the woman, are you my enemy? I mean, aren't you my enemy? You're from Tyre and Sidon. Aren't you a part of the group that has opposed me? Aren't you a part of the group that has opposed my people, that has worshipped false gods, has exploited my people economically, who's militarily uh, been in opposition to my people? Aren't you my enemy? Aren't you really concerned about taking care of yourself first and foremost? I mean, that's what you've been doing. You've been oppressing my people militarily, economically, spiritually. Aren't you just concerned about yourselves? And shouldn't I be concerned about myself? Shouldn't I be concerned just about my children? And so he says he should feed the children before the dogs. Dogs in the ancient world, in the Jewish world, were almost always considered negative. There was a few exceptions, but 
almost always considered negative. But in the Greek culture, there was a little bit different notion of a dog. In the Jewish culture, dogs were referred to as scavengers, animals that would uh, eat the carcasses of animals that would die, that would just kind of roam around scavenging everything. But in the Greek world, occasionally, there were dogs that were kept as pets. In this story, or in this, uh, yeah, this story, when Jesus refers to the dogs, he doesn't use the word for a scavenger dog. He uses it in the diminutive, which most likely means a little dog. We also know that this is in the context of a home because it talks about food coming from the table, about somebody feeding the dogs. So we're not talking about a wild scavenger dog here. We're talking about a house pet like we might know today. So if you're on a very low income, and you have a dog and a child and only a little bit of food, which one would you feed? You would feed your child, right? You'd make sure your child was satisfied, make sure your child was full, and then if you had extra, you'd give it to the dog, right? I mean, that's common sense, and that's what Jesus is saying here. But here's where the analogy breaks down. Does Jesus have a limited supply of food? Does He have a limited supply of power? That is, if He does this miracle for this woman, does that mean He can't do a miracle for somebody else? If He heals this woman's child, does that mean that it's going to take something away from the Jewish people? I think obviously the answer is no. Jesus has the power to do what He wants. And this woman... I think, sees right through that also. She responds with an incredible amount of faith. Look what she says. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Note she doesn't get offended. She doesn't disagree. She says, yes, Lord, you should take care of your children first before you take care of anybody else. But then she goes on and she says, but I believe even the crumbs that fall from your table will be enough for me. Yes, feed your people. Yes, feed your people. But I believe that even the crumbs that fall from your table will be enough for me. In other words, I believe that you have the power to feed both your children and everybody else. That even the crumbs will be enough for me. It's a remarkable response of faith. It's the first time in the book of Mark that we see that somebody actually understands a parable that Jesus tells That she gets it right away. And she responds, even in the midst of the parable, she responds using the same language of the parable. It's an incredible amount of faith. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus mentions bread in this passage. Uses the illustration of taking the bread from the children to throw it to the dogs. I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think it's unintentional. Bread is spoken of a number of times in the few chapters surrounding uh, this passage. Jesus tells the disciples a few chapters back to feed the 5,000 people. Remember what they said? They said, where are we going to get the bread? They say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And then Jesus performs a miracle and multiplies the loaves and the fish. And the text says that 5,000 people were full and they were satisfied. And then afterwards, look at what happens. Afterwards, they go out around and they collect the pieces, make up 12 basketfuls, 
And another way to translate the broken pieces is crumbs. They went up and picked up the crumbs. Then we see the same thing happens in uh, chapter 8. After this passage, 4,000 people are gathered and Jesus is like, uh, how are we going to feed these people? These people need to eat. The disciples ask Him, how can we one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Then Jesus multiplies seven loaves and the people are satisfied. And there's seven basketfuls of broken pieces or crumbs left over. Then a short time after that, the disciples are in a boat and somebody has forgotten to bring the bread along. And so they're discussing this among themselves. And it says in the text in Mark uh, chapter 8, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? See, Jesus' disciples had been with him throughout his whole ministry. They had seen him heal people. They had seen him multiply the bread. And they're constantly... Despite that, asking the question, where are we going to get the bread? Where are we going to get the bread to feed 5,000 people? Where are we going to get the bread to feed 4,000 people? We're out in the boat. Somebody forgot the bread. Where are we going to get the bread to feed ourselves? And yet this woman, a pagan of pagans, someone with no spiritual background or right, says, it's okay. Give them the bread. Give them the loaf. I'll just take the crumbs and that will be enough for me. Just the leftovers. That'll be enough. I think that's a faith that honors God. A faith that honors God is a faith that believes that Jesus is enough for us. Faith that honors God is a faith that Jesus is enough for us. In other words, that He is so great and so powerful and so glorious that just to eat the crumbs from His table, it will be enough for us. Just the leftovers would be enough. Reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And we believe when we believe that, when we believe that Jesus is enough, we stop asking the question, where are we going to get the bread from? I mean, we can get really anxious in our everyday life. We ask ourselves, where are we going to get the bread you know, and that could be physically, uh, you know, where are we going to get material resources? Where am I going to get the money to pay the rent? Where am I going to get this? Where am I going to get that? Or that could be other things. But when we believe that Jesus is enough for us, we no longer wonder where we're going to get it from. We might wonder how we're going to get it, but we never wonder where we're going to get it from because we know that He's enough for us. A number of years ago, uh, Lee Strobel was a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. And at this time in his life, he was uh, a very staunch atheist. And he was uh, given this assignment to go and report on this, on this family in an impoverished inner city neighborhood. Uh, the family had lost uh, their residence. Um, it was a grandmother, had two granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny. And they were living in this tiny, uh, really gross, nasty 
apartment complex in, this, in the inner city. And as he walked in, he was taken aback by how little they had. He said that they had no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, a small kitchen table, and a little bit of rice. Uh, the two daughters, one was 11, or granddaughters, one was 11, one was 13. Uh, they only had one dress each to wear. They had uh, one sweater that they wore, and when it was cold, uh, sometimes as they were walking to school, they would take turns wearing it uh, so that they would keep warm. But what was most remarkable to them, was to uh, Strobel, was how they responded to their poverty. But despite their poverty, he says, and the painful arthritis that kept perfected from working, she still con- talked confidently about her faith in Jesus. She was convinced he had not abandoned them. He says, I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was a gentle feeling of hope and peace. He completed the article, and, but his mind kept wandering back to that family. The name was, they were the Delgado family. And uh, he kept thinking about them, and in his own words, he said, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and yet seemed happy while I had everything I needed materially but lacked faith. And inside, I felt as empty and as barren as their apartment. So it was the middle of a really slow news day, and so he decided to go and pay the family a visit. So as he walked into their house, he was surprised to see that a number of people had uh, shown their love towards this family and provided them with a number of things. Filled their apartment with appliances, furniture, rugs, a large Christmas tree, stacks of presents, even a generous amount of cash. But what shocked him most was not the gifts that they had received, but how they were responding. He inter- As he met them, he interrupted them giving away some of those gifts that they had been given. He asked Perfecta, the grandmother, why, and she replied, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus wanted us to do, would want us to do. He says, that blew me away. If I had been in their position at that time in my life, I would, would have been hoarding everything. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all these goodies. And again, her response amazed me. This is wonderful. This is very good. Gesturing towards all the gifts. We did nothing to deserve it. It's a gift from God. But, she added, it's not His greatest gift. No, we celebrate that gift tomorrow on Christmas. That's Jesus. Strobel writes, to her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything, more than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. And at that moment, something inside of me wanted desperately to know this Jesus because in a sense, I saw Him in Perfecta and her granddaughters. They had peace despite poverty, while I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope while I only looked out for myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something made me long for what they had, or more accurately, for the one they knew. Jesus was enough for the Delgados. Strobel, at this time in his life, he was asking the question, where am I going to get the bread? Everyone needs the bread, right? Where, where am I going to get the bread? 
But the Delgados knew where the bread came from. They knew that Jesus was enough for them. They knew that the material things in life, they were just the overflow. That Jesus was the one that would satisfy their whole souls. And that's a faith that honors God. A faith that believes that Jesus is enough for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are enough for us. We thank you that there's room at your table. You've welcomed all of us to your table, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, that there's a spot for us. And we know, Lord, that even the crumbs off of your table are enough to satisfy us because you are so great and so glorious. That to spend a day in your presence is just is better than to spend a thousand elsewhere. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would reveal to us the greatness of who you are. That as we travel throughout our lives that we would trust in you for all things. That we would no longer ask where's, where are we going to get the bread? But that we would trust in you to provide everything that we need. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.